0: Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on Article 19 of the Augsburg Confession on the cause of sin. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere
1: grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back, guys. We're here for part two of episode... I don't know what episode number it is, but it's we're talking about Article 19. 238, I think. 238. I might be wrong yeah. on that. Good. Totally, when I'm putting
2: this up, I'm going to be like, oh man, I can't believe you did that. But yeah, we're, right. we're close, but it's the second part of our review of Article 19, one of the shorter articles... Mm-hmm in the Augsburg Confession, piggybacking off of Article 18 and free will.
1: Yeah, good. So we're talking about the cause of sin, and uh, maybe let's just jump right into it. And we were... We're, we should pick up by looking at some of the scripture passages that uh, are associated with this, and um, yeah, any comment on that as we get going? Yeah, I think
2: it's a good place to start. So the Augsburg Confession drops John 8:44, which yep. you read last week, but we'll yep. read again from the Bible yep. instead of from the you know 16th yeah. century
1: right straight quote. up, and straight
2: up, straight up now, and uh, then the Roman Confutation, the Catholic response to the Augsburg Confession tags on three other scripture references that would be useful for us to look at yeah. before we round out our discussion. Sounds
1: good. I'll, I'll go ahead and read those verses for us. Uh, John 8:44 says, You are of, the, of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Feels like you should. We should. I should read that more with like a
2: deeper voice. Yeah. More. Uh, you mean we need James Earl Jones yes. or like
1: Jeremy Irons reading that verse for us? Nice. I like it. Uh, I mean, I'm not done reading the verse. So. <laughs> 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 he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, that's John eight forty four, uh, Jeremiah two ten is for cross, for cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, and or send to Kedar and examine with care. Oh, maybe that's not the right verse. Jer-
2: Jeremiah two ten. Jeremiah
1: two ten. See if there has been such a thing. Uh, is that the right one? <laughs> uh, for cross to the coast of Cyprus. Yeah, and that's what I just read. Yeah.
0: That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's, that's either a, I transpose okay, the yeah. uh,
2: verse or. The Roman Catholics from the 16th century are crazy. And
0: they, I, yeah, they the construed that verse.
1: Yes. <laughs> M- <laughs> and misconstrued that, that verse. Just
2: skip over to Hosea then. <laughs> All right. Hosea, Hosea 13. This is a real
1: radio right now. Yes. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. And then Psalm 5.4 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you.
2: Okay, so the last right. two are helpful. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and you know what? Jeremiah 2.10 is a part of Scripture. Even yeah. if it was completely irrelevant to our discussion, <laughs> the Holy Spirit works.
1: We'll through, use it. Is that a case in Missing the Point by the Catholics? Yeah, yeah. it's a
2: case in either Missing the Point by the Catholics or me mispointing the text. Oh, it could <laughs> be. It it's probably like else, yeah. Jeremiah 12. 21, yeah, no, 21. it's Jeremiah twenty one zero. Yeah.
1: <laughs> good. Uh,
0: the thing, uh, it's interesting that that John 8.44, I think it's a good illustration that uh, the writers you know here of this uh, article used, yeah, because of the the nature of how he says, you are of your father the devil, right? The Father is that which begets the son. And he's speaking in that in that sense, you see the originator uh, of sin being Satan, right? but that there is offspring and the nature of that. and he's talking to the Pharisees uh, in, in kind of an aggressive way, right. but what he he could he's saying that to all of us outside of himself. Really, the, uh, outside of Christ, that is true of all of us, you know, and that's, that's what has been passed down. That's the, uh, not in, maybe in a literal sense, uh, but uh, that's the genetics, right? That's the history of, of the family is that we've got nowhere to go from here but down.
2: And he's saying that not to be, you know, rude or, or angry. You know, it, it's said in the same spirit as kind of get thee behind me, Satan, where the point of, of Jesus' ac- accusation of the Pharisees is the same as the point of Jesus' accusation of Peter. He wants it to break them, right? Yeah, you know, right. You, you know, yeah, because be-
1: the yeah, Pharisees are very religious, very you know, outwardly look like everything was gu- good, but not so. Well, yeah, Jesus was never like that. I mean, he was never. You're right. I mean, he was never one to just willy-nilly
0: throw insults at people like Martin Luther did. You know, I mean, <laughs> his control. Uh, you know, his anger, so to speak, or his wrath or the words that he spoke were always very controlled, never losing his temper, but always making a point and always drawing people to, you know, seeking to draw people to himself.
2: And I wonder, and this is the first time I've really thought of it in this way, that whole passage in John chapter eight, this makes for an interesting commentary on the the spiritual state of the Pharisees, because in that passage, they are not claiming God as their father, mm-hmm. because... Uh, Jesus claims God as his father, and they accuse him of blasphemy. In that passage, they're claiming Abraham as their father. That, right, you know, Abraham, our father. It comes up in that passage, and really, what Jesus states here in John eight forty four is that it's either God is your father or Satan is your father. And uh, for for a pious uh, mind to be accused of being the spawn of Satan, quite literally, accused of being the spawn of Satan. Uh, that would have been the height of all offense. Now, again, Jesus intends that for introspection. Like, think about, oh, yeah, I'm harboring all these terrible thoughts. I really am satanic. Mm-hmm. But instead, uh, as so ha- often happens with us, we let pride get in the way and we start to self-justify.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, where where do you guys want to go next with the, this? The, the yeah. one last thing
2: I want to point out yeah. is, is Psalm 5, 4. In, in how well it pairs with Ezekiel 33. So Psalm 5-4, God does not delight in wickedness, but in Ezekiel 33, God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And, and, it, and it's such an interesting pairing because uh, we can't let ourselves off the hook that... Well, God will let me into heaven because I'm a good person. If you identify wickedness in your life, then you're shot, right? That's Romans 118, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness of man. So insofar you've ever been ungodly, what you have earned is the wrath of God. At the same time, it's not God's desire in assaulting, accusing, identifying our wickedness to smite us. It's to save us. And so the message of the gospel must be that God has dealt with our sin Mm -hmm. because he cannot delight in wickedness, but he doesn't want the wicked to die. Yeah, that reminds me of John the
0: Baptist. I think you see it even better in that interchange when he is you know preaching repentance for you know for the forgiveness of sins. Calling them brood of vipers. Brood of vipers. What does that mean? Well literally the son of vipers or the daughters of vipers right the children of vipers going back to the serpent in you know Genesis chapter 3 right that picture of them being but what's the whole purpose of John saying that? You know it's it's very insulting it 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 you know and Calling people out on sin is insulting, in a sense, to our pride, but his purpose was to point them to the Messiah, which was John's whole ministry.
2: I preached on that passage a few weeks ago, and I told my congregation it has always been my temptation to uh, begin the call to worship with that. You brood of vipers brood <laughs> a, who will rescue you <laughs> and, from the coming wrath? Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yes. As, as an inaccurate, you know... Opening the service with the proclamation of the law, and I said, I've chosen not to for several reasons, many of which I'm sure you can identify right now. <laughs>
1: but,
2: oh. but it would be something to, as a, as a call to worship, to just, you brood of vipers. Welcome back
1: to church, you brood of vipers. <laughs> yeah. oh. Kind of like Merry Christmas, you filthy animals Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought of, too. Nice. Oh. Oh. Oh, well, good. Well, I, you know, I think it's good uh, to think about how, how this comes in, in terms of like a modern uh, application of, of this uh, article and, and this topic. Um, yeah, what, what are some modern ways or ways that this plays out in our modern landscape? So we'll
2: get the, the, the heavier one out of the way first, because it, it's not an, a discussion we intend to have In depth, but from a Lutheran perspective, uh, our assessment of double predestination in the Calvinist scheme plays right on the edges of this error. Uh, Because God, from our perspective again, God does not uh, assign eternity based on sin. He, it's done before the dawn of time, that some are elect unto heaven and some are elect unto hell. The, you have the elect and you have the rep- reprobate. And if we are to believe that the wages of sin is death, then you, you really have to be very careful how you articulate that from the dawn of time, God has chosen who goes to heaven and who goes to hell.
0: So if he chooses to you know, send some to hell then how, how does that apply? So the wages of sin is death. And so basically the death that he is s- ascribing to these individuals eternally uh, is the the wages of sin. So God being sin then, is that kind of the danger well, no, we, no, we no. run so, into? Or what, and, what are you saying there? And
2: again, I'm not a Calvinist. Um, I've never been inside the Calvinist system. But the way I think that uh, I've heard it described how you get around the the accusation that God is playing it fast and loose with human sin is that it's a prevenient issue, that from the beginning of time, God knows who will be saved and God knows who will be an unbeliever and then assigns them via that way. But it it doesn't really play from a big picture of what Scripture says about sin. And if you explain double predestination poorly, it makes it makes God the arbiter of a punishment for sin that people have not yet committed, which you, do you see what I'm saying? Because sure, the whole point of this article is one, God does not cause sin. And two, we are responsible for our own sin. If we're punished before we sin, that, that puts us in a really unpleasant place. And, and, and again, uh, I don't want to have the deep conversation here about, tulip calvinism or yeah. double predestination what i'm saying is from a lutheran perspective where lutherans reject double predestination where election unto salvation is a matter of the gospel right it's a matter of the effectiveness of the gospel then from our perspective you run into some very dangerous territory going back to the dawn of time and god assigning everyone their eternal destiny before one second of human history
0: Sure. Interesting. Hmm. I've
2: never thought of it that way. I mean, we talk about double
0: predestination quite a bit in Romans class. Uh, you know the whole nature Jacob of and Esau. yeah, yeah, and that whole and even before that, when you get into the nature of what is the power of God, and we talk about the gracious power of God and the omnipotent power of God, and and how you know the human nature is that we can reject his his goodness to us, as we saw with the Pharisees, right? You know, I, how long have I held my hands out to you, a stubborn and obstinate people? That's not Pharisees I think that's Old Testament but then you know Jesus saying I've spread out my wings like a mother hen would gather her chicks but you would not come mm-hmm. you know and that whole nature of uh, you know it's not God's um, <laughs> it's not his ascribing death ahead of time to these people it's the idea of his desire to save right and that's I think that's where we we talk about it more in Romans class but I've never thought of it like that Jason like you bring it up
2: yeah, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's, this is not an accusation, in, in, but it, it does come to a point where Lutherans have to make an assessment of this because it's not in our theological system where one of the reasons why we would reject election unto hell would be because it does not provide us with an adequate dealing of sin. Hmm. If that makes sense, sure.
1: So it's like yeah. a being punished before you've actually done it. Yeah, kind, kind of, of, of like Minority Report. With uh, yeah, well, kind <laughs> of exactly. And, and uh, Tom Cruise from yeah, the,
2: you know, yeah. the, the pre-crime division. Yeah, and, and, right. And on the one hand, again, we agree with Calvinists that God is sovereign. We we get there via a different route. Mm-hmm where in the Calvinist system, sovereignty is the, the overarching principle of everything that falls under Calvinism. It explains their conception of grace, explains their conception of eternity, uh, and so on and so forth. For the Lutheran, we get to the sovereignty of God through the death and resurrection of Christ. It was because Christ overcame death and hell that we recognize God revealing himself as sovereign. Now, again, all of the miracles... In the Old Testament and the New Testament also demonstrate God's sovereignty, but all of those miracles are to prepare us for Christ anyway, and, and so that's how we do it. It's again, it's this is just an evaluation, mm-hmm. and and that's all we want to leave it at because they're they're much bigger boogeymen for us here <laughs> in, in yeah. the modern American church when it yeah. comes to <clears throat> the cause of sin, right? And and this is. Uh, an issue, especially in liberal Christianity, which we don't always attack mm-hmm. with frequency on this show, but but the idea that humans are not responsible for their bad behavior has permeated the church in the last 100 years in certain wings of the church, and it gets us into all sorts of trouble. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there any... I mean, your favorite whooping boy, the general evangelical or general American Christianity, uh, do they have any uh, troubles with this particular issue?
2: Yeah, there's kind of a, uh, a scope or a spectrum. So uh, in, in left wing, we would say, or, or liberal Christianity, what, what you have is a Genesis 3 sort of principle where everyone blames someone else for your sin, right? So God confronts Adam, what is this thing you have done? And Adam blames God, this woman you gave Sin gave me the apple, so he blames God, blames the woman. God turns to the woman. The woman says, devil made me do it. God punishes Satan. That's Genesis 3. So in, in, in the liberal church, uh, people's behavior is a product of class. It's a product of race. You know, we, uh, We're we not going to get into all of the critical race theory. Right, but,
0: but it's a victimization yeah, kind of mindset. It's, it's that it's, we're, we're a victim of our, our circumstances.
2: Yeah, so long as you can... Delineate your victimhood, then you're not responsible for sin, and this is not to devalue actual victims. Correct. But the tendency, as soon as you can demonstrate that you might have been a victim, then everything goes out the window as far as sin is concerned, right? Right. And so it's the systemic racism, it's the you know, critical race theory, but it's class warfare, it's it's poverty, it's uh, come down to you know delicate issues like mental illness or, mm-hmm. or, or things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's on the left spectrum of the church. As we get closer to the center and to the right with generic American Christianity, what you have, the problem uh, that fits under the umbrella of this article is the diluting of terms. And, and so in Scripture, what you're dealing with is sin and wrath and forgiveness and eternity. And and now in American Christianity, and this has trickled all the way into the Lutheran church with radical Lutherans or or things like that, or gospel reductionism is the official term, is is you move away from those terms, and you deal in terms of brokenness, and of guilt, and shame, and and along those lines. And, And what happens is that As that pattern establishes itself, whether it's you know, like I said, radical Lutheranism or gospel reductionism or American Christianity, you move away from a concept of forgiveness to a concept of feeling better about yourself. A little bit more of Mm -hmm. a therapeutic. Yeah, and that's where we get into moralistic therapeutic deism, right? When I
0: when I think of brokenness, sometimes in those terms, I think of them in terms of like you know. Brokenness means I was broken by somebody. The victim mindset yeah. again can be the case, but instead, I think brokenness can be valuable only insofar as you look at it like it's something that you got off of Amazon and paid way less for than you should have, and you get it and it's broken on the on the so front a, end. A, a <laughs> I thousand
2: am, different parts.
0: I right? am broken. Why? <laughs> you know, I, I the the whole system doesn't work, and I'm a sinner. And I think that's true. You know, so you talk about the the brokenness.
2: So what was the other things you said? You'd so it, there's brokenness. There's guilt and there's shame. And and, and along the lines you're going, all of these are either biblical terms or biblical concepts. We can speak of brokenness in terms that we, as God's creature creatures, physiologically, mentally, and spiritually, do not function as we ought because of sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have sinus congestion right now. Because no way. Sin. Yeah. <laughs> you fall over backwards when you're on roller skates. Ice skates. Ice skates. Because of sin, right? And my, I have two screws and a wire in my ankle because of sin. <laughs> and, 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 because and, of that horrible... And, and a plastic pipe sticking accident. out of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know... Terrible things happen theologically just because of the existence of sin. This isn't a you do bad things, bad stuff happens. We're not talking about karma, but things are broken. And guilt, likewise, is something that is
0: functional in the system of Christianity in that that's what we should feel when we are, are made aware of our sin. We should feel guilt when we do sin. Or... But it doesn't is, get to the heart of the matter, and I think that's what you're trying to say. It's well, like
1: dealing with the symptoms without yeah, exactly. touching and on the without touching on underlying disease. disease yeah. yeah, and
2: like guilt is a legal term. You are guilty if you've committed a crime, mm-hmm. right? And, and and the problem is if we move to describing brokenness as the condition instead of the symptom. So where as now we will see in the church, especially in the in the mushier parts of generic american christianity brokenness begins to be referred to as an acceptable state of disrepair i just mm-hmm. it's it's who i identify as i'm broken don't blame me for that because I'm broken. Hmm. And and that gets us a layer or two or five away from sin.
0: And I think there, there's danger in that too. Uh, and Jason maybe this is something you and I talked about long before I was ever even on this podcast but doesn't that have to do, as we talk about us being being broken, um, it's almost as though we we glory or re, uh, revel in our brokenness in those moments. And that, that it's, it's almost a point of we're pride, prideful because we are so
2: broken, so to speak. So the outcome of gospel reductionism or radical Lutheranism ends up being that we flaunt our sinfulness so we can demonstrate God's patience. And it actually becomes a complete reversal of Romans 6... Two, six, one. Which, shall we
1: continue on, to sin? Yeah. That so grace may be mm-hmm.
2: right? Uh, you, I find this in, in corners of the Lutheran church, especially online and social media. This is, exists in spades. You, you, you almost become proud of how sinful you are because God, of course, accepts you. And and this, by the way, is the big red flag if we end up singing just as I am without context, right? Right. God God receives you just as you are so he can forgive you. But in many churches, it ends up God receives you just as you are, and he's okay with that. Mm -hmm. And And he'll leave you as you are. Yeah, and he'll leave you as you are. That's the problem. And so if guilt becomes the condition instead of the symptom, then we just need to get rid of our guilt. If shame becomes the condition instead of the symptom, then we just need to get get rid of our feelings of shame. So that in generic American Christianity, especially like we identified those two strains in Lutheranism, radical Lutheranism, gospel reductionism, or in in the mushy generic American American context, the, the, the message of the gospel isn't that Jesus has died on the cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. The message of the gospel is you need to feel better about who God created you to be. Which is the therapeutic part of yeah. moral therapeutic deism. Well, and, and that has been used in so many areas to accept sin in the church. This is how you get to have an entire LGBTQ strain in the church this is how you accept this that or the other thing in the church because you're not actually dealing with sin and the point of the gospel is that god has dealt with sin and which is why i say my favorite bible verse in the entire bible is romans 326 that so that god might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith Uh, God has to be just, he can't not be just, which means anything, any expression of the gospel must also be an expression of God's justice. And then what we look at is Jesus in fact was punished for our sins on the cross, that Jesus took our sins and made them his own. So the message of the gospel isn't that God is ignoring your sin or sweeping it under the rug or or get selective He's amnesia. He's actually dealing with it. Your sin has been dealt with. Mm-hmm. And, and so then we look in all the passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that talk about God forgetting about our sin, which is one of those verses that's ripped out of context and utilized down this road we've been talked about. God forgets about your sin, not because he's got a bad memory. God forgets about your sin because when he looks at you, your sin doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. Jesus mm. has
2: taken it. And that's the outcome of the gospel, which Amen. is so much more peace and so much more comfortable than if you deceive yourself into feeling better about who you are, things are going to be okay.
0: I think repentance comes into play here too, then, in, in the Lutheran understanding and how it's defined here in the confessions of repentance being two-part, you know, sorrow and then faith, yep. right? It's, it's being sorry over the right things. Right? Not just, you know, not, not my brokenness or, you know, that, sorry that I feel bad about it. Or sorry you were offended. Or,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
0: sorry because I actually broke the command of the Almighty. Well, yeah. Right? And and then to have a place to go with that, with faith, that, that aspect of repentance, as we turn to Christ in faith, you know, as a sinner, as we come to him and say, hey, I, I did this, then you have exactly what you just talked about. You have that reflection in the eyes of God. He does not see you as sinner. He sees you as Christ. And there's a, th- there is so much more peace. Like you just said, there's so much more peace there than in any other aspect of this uh, therapeutic deism uh, kind of nonsense that we do very quickly fall into mm-hmm. because of our sinful nature.
2: Yeah, yeah. and the idea of repentance then, just to kind yep. of put a cap on this episode, is it rounds us back to our personal responsibility yeah, for that's sin. that's right. Is that we are repenting for something we have done, which is why we state that God's will for you as a Christian at any given time is that you would be repenting. When something awful happens in your life, God wants you to repent. When something good happens, Romans 2, 4, in your life that you don't deserve, God wants you to repent. And he wants you to repent not because he just wants to keep kicking you when you're down. Mm -hmm. He wants you to repent because in repenting, he will comfort you.
1: Yeah, amen. It's been a great conversation here, guys. Thank you for that. And uh, catch us next time as we jump into some scriptural passages as we continue the discussion on this article. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite
0: a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Gret, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 19 of the Augsburg Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.